Before we start today's show, just want to reiterate how happy I am to be working with our friends at Old Smoke. You'll see it better later when I'm in full screen, but you can sort of see it down in the little screen here. Wearing the new JK Collection shirt for Saratoga with the canoes. It's awesome. That's on sale now at the Old Smoke website. We also have our T-shirts over there. Lots of popular models. Degenerate Horse Player, One Time, Chalk Eating Weasel. And of course, our shirt that comes with the baked-in donation to the TRF. I won, and so did they. And hey, while we're talking about them, I'll give you the other one too. I'm alive in the pick five. We still have a few of those left. Easiest way to get to our area of the site, in themoneypodcast.com slash old smoke. You can use the promo code MONEY for free shipping. That's the promo code MONEY for free shipping. And if you want to see the JK collection, go to oldsmokeclothing.com slash JK. Whitney Week has arrived at Saratoga. One of the biggest weekends of the season is going to feature eight graded stakes, including the 95th running of the grade one, $1 million Whitney. Fans also get to witness the second leg of this year's triple series, the grade one Caesars Saratoga Derby Invitational. Some of the sport's biggest stars will take it to the track, including grade one winner, Hot Rod Charlie, Breeders' Cup champion, Life is Good, and Belmont Derby winner, Classic Causeway. Join Acacia Courtney and the Naira team as they bring you live racing, expert analysis, and picks. And we have a special link. When you're wondering, oh, which Fox is uh, America's Day at the Race is going to be on today? You go to inthemoneypodcast.com slash TV. It'll take you right to the Saratoga Live TV schedule. $300 contest on Saturday. You can play in. Find that on the naira.com website. There's also the Saratoga Showdown, a free-to-play game available daily on the Naira website. And there's also a two-day Saratoga Derby to Saratoga Oaks bet August 6th to August 7th. For more information, go to naira.com. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for one of my favorite days annually of the Saratoga Meet for Whitney Day. It's going to be for the races of Saturday. Uh, what's that going to be? August 6th. Peter Thomas Fornital back with you from the little house on the east side and very happy to reconvene a panel from uh, a really fun show and popular show we did during Belmont Week for this Whitney Day. We'll start with uh, the man who is, we call him the usual co-host of this program. These days he he's... He's still pretty usual. He's on more than anybody else is, that's for sure. He wears bright and colorful shirts. I'm wearing one of his shirts right now, as a matter of fact. You know him from America's Day at the Races on Fox and uh, In the Money Plus and many other places at UT Big Hair himself. Jonathan Kinchin, what's up, JK? PTF, you can tell the truth. The only reason you like Whitney so much is because it's your birthday weekend. <laughs> it's one of the reasons. It's one of the reasons. The gifts, the gifts help. The parties help. But it's a great day of racing, and we're going to be th- talking about it in a minute, not only with you, but with a man. I, I just like to refer to him as uh, one of the faces that would be on any Mount Rushmore of horse players that you wanted to make. He is a uh, he, he's an author. He's been an executive, but mainly he's just somebody who you can't have more fun with talking about the races than, than him. He is Stephen Christ. Stephen, how are things? Pete, things are great. It's Saratoga time. Life is good. How has the betting been going for you so far, Steve? Uh, I, I have uh, yet to land any balls over the fence, but I uh, feel like I've got a good swing going. <laughs> I like that analogy very, very much. 
JK, I know you had said you'd gotten off to a little bit of a, of a rough start. Have you righted the ship as far as the overall meet goes? Rough, right, and now it's it's still in the it's still in the rough area. Um, you know, a bunch of those inches here, inch there situations. So similar to Steve, I feel like you know, I feel like when you're in the middle of of, of Saratoga, you should have a game plan, and you just got to stick to the game plan and just continue to kind of do what you're going to do. I feel like sometimes if you change then you could miss, you could just keep missing because, you know, this is just such a tough meet. So I know there's one out there for me. I'm hoping there's a couple. Um, and uh, there's, there's no better day than these big Whitney days. I, I feel like these are the days I do the best when there's a whole bunch of graded stakes. You know the horses, you know the connections, you know what they're good at, you know what they're not good at. And it takes away a little bit of the guessing that we often have to deal with when you're dealing with maiden 40s and, and you know, Linda dropping for 16 and, and all of these things and maiden special weights with, with uh, the next fastest horses in the world and there's seven of them in there. I think that these bigger days make it a little bit easier to navigate. I know who Warlike Goddess is. You know, I know who uh, Matarea is, so on and so forth. Well, as the expression goes, it only takes one. Maybe that one will be this Whitney Day pick six that we're about to talk about. It starts off with race number seven at 3.58 Eastern time on Saturday. We'll kick it off with the grade two Glens Falls for fillies and mares, four-year-olds and up going a mile and a half on the inner turf. Field of seven going postward. And JK, I was going to start with, with, with Stephen, as we like to do with our guests, but since you've already name-checked Warlike Goddess, who's going to be odds-on in this spot, we'll, we'll talk to you first. You said you know who Warlike Goddess is. Is she your single to start off this Whitney Day Pick 6? You know, I think she's a singleable type of horse. I, I think that what I'll probably do here, because if you can beat her in this spot, and it is a turf race going long, trips matter. Um, if you can beat her, you're going to pick up a ton of equity to get this thing started. So I'll probably use her as a single A, but then I'm going to use Temple City Terror, the one and the two Virginia Joy as twos. Uh, I mean, as, as, as Bs, excuse me. You know, I, I wish one of them had a style that I thought would kind of contradict what it is that Warlike Goddess is going to do, meaning I wish some one of them would go to the front and kind of take advantage of it that way. But I, I just don't see either one of those horses having that card in their bag. Yes. Yes, I know. I see Virginia Joy wired a field two back, but that was literally in a in a bog and she just found the front. And I don't know that she's going to be able to like open up by open links and take advantage of her pace in here. So I'll single a warlike goddess. She's just so good at these long distance turf races and uh, Temple City Terra Virginia Joy will be B type horses for me. Sounds like a reasonable approach. Steve, what do you think? What will your approach be to get this candle lit for the pick six on Saturday? Yeah, I, I too managed to smoke out Warlike Goddess. <laughs> pretty likely winner in here. Uh, you know, talking about this this pick six, if you just think back one week, uh, you know, when there was a carryover in addition on a Saturday card. But, you know, last Saturday you had Jackie's Warrior win at 250. You had Epicenter win at, at 420. You had two other short prices, and then you had bombs in the last two. And the thing still paid twelve thousand. So, you know, these are the days when when you can single horses like you know Warlike Goddess, and and there's obviously another one coming up shortly on the card, uh, and the thing can still pay. Uh, I, I think you've got a couple of races where there are horses who look like they have to fall down to lose, and a couple of races where you could hit the all button, and that's what makes these you know sequences fun. Um, 
I, I, I would single Warlike Goddess on something like 80% of my play. I think the only other conceivable winner uh, is Virginia Joy. The, the problem with her is that she really prefers the ground to be different. And, you know, even with some thunder showers predicted today and tomorrow, this, this turf course is so hard and so fast. I just don't think it's her preferred uh, surface or footing. But I think she's clearly the other horse in the race. So, you know, I'm going to be about 80% warlike goddess, 20% Virginia Joy, and Jonathan can take the pool if someone else wins. <laughs> we'll see what happens with this weather. I mean, I take your point, Steve. There, the weather's just been so weird. And I, I mean, I haven't seen any meteorologists really get fully right any day. So if more rain than expected comes, I think Virginia Joy is an interesting alternative to potentially do the wire routine but yeah i mean just based on on figures and form there's no doubt about who the fastest horse is steve mentioned jk 80 percent of the play running through warlike goddess does that do those percentages sound about right to you how, how are you thinking of weighting it between those three runners because i know you know that the, the the abcx method that steve has famously espoused is, a, is a, very much of a starting point but i know very often you'll try to take it to another level and, and get down into the the minutia of uh, calculating percentages of horses and money that's going to run through them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's Friday. And, and I, I, even when I was in school, and uh, maybe just an, this is just an excuse for being a procrastinator, but like, I feel like I make my best decisions at the last minute. <laughs> I even talking about it now, there's a conversation I was having in my head while Steve was talking about, well, maybe it's even a better play if I make warlike goddess an a, and then use uh, Virginia joy and temple city terror as seahorses. That way I'm not wasting those two B combinations and spending that extra money on the two Bs when I could just use them as Cs where, you know, if one of them wins, then I'm going to need Materia to win, right? I'm not going to be able to have Temple City Terror and Wish You Well. So, and, and I don't have to have them because, man, I, I just don't see a world in which both of those horses win in the same day, right? Not that, that it can't happen. I just, it just doesn't seem likely. So why spend the money on the combination? So um, to answer your question, I could even go higher than 80% if I were to go that route and make those two horses seahorses. All right, let's pivot to the second leg of this pick six race, number eight, an allowance race going seven furlongs on the dirt, a field of 10 going postward. There is going to be a fairly heavy favorite in here as well, Steve, but is this a spot where you think we might be able to get a price to spice things up a little bit? Yeah, I, I do think this is that spot. I, I have, you know, nothing... Uh, against the favorite in here, but I, I thought this was a deep and tricky race. I mean, you got two Chads, you got two Todds, you got an ex-Chad. Uh, I, I thought that, it, you know, I only have three throwouts in the, in the race after my first time through. Uh, I, I thought there were several interesting possibilities in here, and uh, I don't think this is any kind of an unbeatable favorite. Yeah, that favorite where referring to St. Tappet, a second-time starter after galloping um, at 9-5 to five on debut back at Belmont. For the seven that you left as contender, Steve, how did you grade them into A's, B's, and C's this far out? Uh, I, I have not done that this far out. Gotcha. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, St. Tappet is, is going to be an A with me. But, you know, he didn't really beat anything last time. It was kind of a soft pace in there. And I think, look, anytime you go from a, a debut maiden win uh, to a one other than, you're obviously stepping up and, and meeting better horses. But not only that in general, but 
this is a Saratoga one other than. I mean, you've got half a dozen horses who are capable of running a figure of 90 or better, uh, which is pretty unusual for, for a one other than. I think they're pretty close together. I think there's a lot of talent in here. And I, I think maybe this is a race where you can get a, a price home. Uh, one horse I'll mention because he'll, he'll be a very big price uh, is Fluid Situation. Uh, who's a horse who ran a, a race at Tampa three back that holds up to any kind of scrutiny. And the horses have come back out of it and improved on their figures. That was a legitimately giant effort. And he's had, you know, issues in his last two. He doesn't want to go as far as a mile or longer. But I, I think turning back here, he's going to be 12 to 1 or better. He'll, he'll be on a lot of my tickets. Were the one, two, and ten the three that you were going to X out of here? Uh, no, actually, the the two, nine, and ten. Uh, I I thought the one perfect Munnings had possibilities. I mean, he's second off a long layoff. He comes out of a paceless race where Montauk Daddy, you know, just wired the field. Uh, and both he and Silly K, who are coming out of that race, I thought ran well coming off long layoffs. I have to use both of them in here makes sense to me jonathan what's your thought on this one what let's start with the favorite saint tappet where, where are you with him well i think warlike goddess is a single that makes sense i think that materia is a single that makes sense i think saint tappet is a single that a lot of people will use especially budget tickets i don't say that disparagingly i just mean that people who are trying not to spend 800 dollars on their ticket they're going to see St. Tappet. They're going to see Hob de Grace. They're going to see Tappet. They're going to see the debut win. They're going to see Louie. They're going to see Todd, and they're going to single. And I think if you can beat this horse, there's a lot of value in that as well. And to Steve's point, uh, when he made the point about half a dozen can run a 90 or better, I'll even go a little bit further. I felt like there was eight horses in here, depending on what speed figures you look at, that in their careers have run within three points of St. Tappet. Some of them run faster or as fast as. So to lean on this horse in this spot, although St. Tappet might run off the screen and be a special animal, bred to be one, I just think that there's an opportunity here that I'm going to use a ton of horses in here. And I agree with, uh, with Steve on fluid situation. I think getting back to this distance is going to be big. And I, I believe in that race down in Tampa. The, the last thing I will say is before St. Tappet's race, I reached out to Todd and asked if he liked. And he said that the horse you know, broke a little slow. If he broke, he's good enough to win. So I almost kind of think to myself, like, did he get lucky and break well? Does he have a habitual situation of not breaking well? If he doesn't break well here, he's not going to win. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunities to maybe look to play against. I'm not tossing the horse by any means, especially when I have other strong opinions throughout the sequence. But I, I do think that uh, he, he's vulnerable for sure. Give me some other numbers to put for the plus notes, JK. It sounds like you might use eight of the 10, but any other thoughts on ones you definitely want as A's or definitely want tossed would be useful to me. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, Osborne, the nine can, can win. Money Supply can win. Um, hometown can win with the switch to Atris. Let's see if that horse, Yeah, you know, I'm not cutting in line to bet horses off of Chad Brown, but Rob Atris is one of those guys that, that I would, would, would give a look at. Fluid situation like we talked about. Um, I don't necessarily need Prince of Pharaohs, the four. Um, and I don't necessarily need the two Anejo. I think Anejo probably wants a little bit longer. And and he just doesn't have any really numbers that match up. But the rest of them will likely be on a ticket in some frame or some, frame or, um, some fashion. 
way, shape, or form, we like to say. We'll, we'll yeah, see. Yeah, way, shape, or form. What was I going to we'll say? See how it, we'll see how it Frame plays out. With what we, 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 we're definitely spreading in that race. And I wish we had time for the tangent about the efficacy of, of or, or lack thereof of using a runner like St. Tappet when it's so clearly a race where, where spreading is going to be going on. But well, but I don't, well, I mean, I think it's an important point because the internet seems to have an answer to that. Um, <laughs> it's maybe, it may be at the, I think I promised you, you'd be out of here in, in about, uh, in, in about 11 minutes, JK. But if you want to do the tangent, let's do it. I got, I got, I got like 11 and a half. Look, <laughs> if you're going to, if you're going to single a horse like Warlike Goddess, and you're going to single Matarea, and you're going to try to have a $20 pick six. It doesn't make any sense to let a horse trained by one of the best trainers that's ever walked on this planet who won first time out that couldn't be bred any better and just toss the horse. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, like Steve said, these things still pay well, especially on the big days. There's so much dead money. There's so many people at that racetrack that are playing the pick six that couldn't handicap themselves out of a wet paper sack. You have to play on a day like this, and you, you don't want to get beat by a horse like St. Tapper. Now, the last time I played devil's advocate in, in, a, in a panel with the three of us, we I, I got my hat handed to me. But at the risk of doing it again, I will say this. When it comes to – I do have some I, – I take your point, Jonathan, uh, but I have sympathy for the point of view that to effectively play an extended pick sequence, you need to have opinions. And one – opinion that could make this sequence worth playing is the idea that there's not enough between St. Tappet and the rest of this field to justify St. Tappet's price and therefore constructing a ticket with the express uh, purpose of reflecting that opinion also makes sense to me. So I also would have sympathy for somebody who said, I'm just going to chuck this thing completely. Now, I was going to ask Steve what he thought of this, but Jonathan, you seem desperate to speak. Yeah, I I mean, I get that argument, but how much am I going to save by using eight A horses and tossing St. Tappet? Because I can't separate the other ones. Now, if you love fluid situation, big fella, go ahead and single them and do your thing. But like, <laughs> I need a lot. Of, I need a lot in here. And I, I would argue that using St. Tappet equally to money supply, equally to hometown, equally to fluid situation is me, is me formulating my opinion. I am. I am weighing my opinion by making a nine to five shot, even to an eight to one shot. Steve, where do you stand on this debate? Yeah, I, I have little sympathy for that devil's advocate argument. <laughs> uh, you, you know, as Jonathan said, I, I mean, if you're going seven deep in the race, wh- why would you throw out, you know, a horse who's perfectly capable of winning? You really want to be right everywhere else on the card and all your other good ideas are correct but you didn't use St. Tappet because you wanted to be a big man and say, I'm leaving out the favorite. <laughs> I, I mean, I just think that's, that's self-destructive. The, the idea with multiple tickets is, is to be able to take care of various scenarios. And one of the scenarios is I'm really smart everywhere else. And St. Tappet, you know, wins by a pole at eight to five. You, you want to get nothing at the end of the day, just because that happens. I, I really don't see the logic in that. I think in my own play, I would certainly use say Tappet, but there are some favorites that I do think it makes sense to build a ticket and just leave them out completely because you're sure that your the theoretical return on investment on them would be so so bad over time. But for me, St. Tappet is just too too well bred and too logical to fall into that category. But I mean, I think for all of us, there are favorites who we'd want to oppose enough that we would completely 
leave them out. I mean, that's that's part of the, the fun of, of playing the game, isn't isn't that part of of what we're trying to do here? Is just is find favorites to beat completely. Sure, but you know that's also we're still allowed to bet on races individually. So you know if you got to this race uh, and you use Saint Tappet in in your pick six, and it's not going to be the best result for you if he wins. Play the race separately. Leave them out of your exactas. Leave them out of your tries. But don't jeopardize your entire afternoon and your entire pick six play, you know, by being a, a sort of a, a show off and saying, I didn't even use him. <laughs> it's a great now, point. And, I can't wait to be, be criticized on the Internet for, for how well yeah. you guys have made it. And just to be clear, the argument is it, the, the argument we're making is in a spread race you include. Now, if you are playing the Whitney and you don't like life is good, then toss him to the moon. Don't use him. Single Olympiad. I can get behind that argument. And who cares if you're right the other the rest of the way? Because tossing life is good and going uh, going and singling instead of going too deep is a huge equity boost to a situation. But in a race where you're using nine horses anyways, it's silly to toss the favorite. Getting beat in a spread race is definitely one of the cardinal uh, sins of horizontal betting, as far as I'm concerned. All right, we need to move on, gentlemen, and we're going to move on to the graded stakes portion of the card, starting with the grade one test for these three-year-old fillies going seven furlongs. Steve, what numbers will be on your tickets in here? Is it as simple as uh, Matareya, which is the way J.K. has sort of already tipped his hand? I, I, th- I think it is. I mean, she's, she's what we used to call an omni-fig which means any one of her races, you know, wins this race. I, I just think she's a ton better in here. Uh, I don't think it's a very competitive field. My, my biggest opinion in the race is that the horse who is the second choice on the line, Hot Peppers, would never appear on a ticket of mine. I, I am very against this horse. And if they're really going to make her the second choice in here, I may have to get involved in trying to punch a couple of cold exactas in this race, throwing her out. I thought her victory ride was an awful race. Uh, I don't think she's in the same category as these horses, uh, but because of her connections, I guess, and the fact that she's coming off a graded stakes win, uh, she, she's five to one against a two to five favorite. I really dislike her. I, I think something has to go terribly wrong for Mataray and not to win this race. JK, are you stone cold as well? Uh, stone cold A. Um, and, and, on, and on the point of hot peppers as well, let's not forget, Rudy's 0 for 35. He's a 19% trainer this year, a 19% trainer in his career, and he's 0 for 35 at Saratoga, which is obviously a little concerning. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Materia is the most likely winner, but she doesn't feel like one of those, like, like monster two to five shot type of situation. She's just the best horse significantly in a race that doesn't seem to have much in it i will use wish you well a little bit for a couple of reasons one we're obviously intimately close to the situation with jake ballas being one of our friends and so i know the story of this philly and how much they liked her um and she ran huge on debut she got a fast number that day very fast pace figures then she caught the off the 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 turf race excuse me the, the sloppy race um um on derby day or oaks day i think it was oaks day and now she shows up back here and haven't running, hasn't run in a long time. She's fast. Um, I think she's talented. And I think that if something were to happen to the favorite and she didn't run her race, I think Wishy Well could take another step forward. While the other horses, I kind of already feel like we know who they are. So I'll have her uh, on a saver ticket as well. And maybe to that conversation we had earlier, more as a C than a B. So I'm not wasting all those double, uh, those two B tickets. 
Let's move on to the race that gives the day its name, the grade one Whitney, which goes as race number 10. The, this is the classic uh, short field, field that's short on numbers, but not short on talent. JK, we'll keep it with you. Um, I think a lot of people, I mean, not a lot. I think some people might think it's a one horse race. And as much as I love life is good. And I think that life is good is just uber talented. And I love horses that run like he runs. Uh, I think Olympiad is way too close to just dismiss from a speed figure standpoint. I think life is good. will clear. We'll make the front. And I think Olympiad will make a run at him. And, and at some point between the three eights pole and the quarter pole, they'll look each other in the eye and we'll see who's better at that point. But I think it's going to be a hell of a horse race. I, I don't, think American Revolution or Hot Rod Charlie are going to get things in their favor enough to beat those two horses. So I'd probably lean away from them. Maybe those horses as C's as well, because they're good enough to win. I just don't think that they will. If I held your feet to the fire for a top pick between Life is Good and Olympiad, which way would you go? I'm going to always go to the horse that's going to be on the front end. Uh, just I, I just, I think that that is a weapon that is is lost at times in this game and uh so i'll go with life is good but i, I will use both of them as a horses we have said before that the the jk handicapping um uh, landscape is a is a no closer zone and while a slight exaggeration it does make sense that you'd pick life is good over olympiad with feet held to the fire but plenty of enthusiasm for that one as well steve how do you see what's going to happen in the grade one whitney well, I, I too, I'm a huge Life is Good fan. If you put a gun to my head, it's clearly Life is Good. My, my thinking, I guess, is Life is Good as a single A, Olympiad as a, as a single B, and, you know, uh, Hot Rod Charlie and American Revolution is C's in, in case something goes wrong and falls apart. Um, I, you know, I have no knock on Olympiad. I don't think he's as good as Life is Good. I also don't buy the the winning figure that was given to him last time uh, at Churchill. Uh, I mean, it was a, a little bit of a, a jump up for him, but you know, mo most importantly, other horses in the race, you know, receive significant career tops uh, for kind of their you know usual efforts, uh, and I just don't believe that Proxy, a horse who'd never run better than a ninety-seven buyer suddenly jumped up to 104 in defeat. I, I just feel like there's something wrong with the number. Um, I don't think Olympiad's quite as good. You know, you draw a line through the Stephen Foster, and, you know, his career best root figure is a buyer 103. That That's not going to get it done against the good life is good. So, you know, I respect the horse. He's clearly the second horse in the race, but I, I don't think he beats life is good in a fair and square race let's talk about race number 11 the grade one saratoga derby mile and three sixteenths for these three-year-olds and 11 will be going postward steve we'll keep it with you you know at at first i thought oh god here's another impossible spread race and uh i don't like this series of races this belmont derby saratoga derby i think they're overvalued i i you know I hope these races get rolled back in the future. I think Naira could figure out something smarter to do with $3 million in purse money than to keep running these, you know, we're acting like these are world-class three-year-olds, you know, running in a grade one grass race. And come on, these 
horses are a big cut below the the best real three-year-olds on dirt. Having said that, I started out thinking, oh, there's an impossible race and ended up deciding that three horses to me stick out in the race. Uh, and, you know, they're the horses who ran second and third last time out at, at Belmont behind Classic Causeway, the Foreigners Stone Age. And uh, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm just drawing a complete blank on the other one's name. Uh, oh, Nation's, Nation's Pride. Pride. And, you know, the third horse to me is is Annapolis, who has always looked like he could be, you know, the top three-year-old American turf horse, uh, has just gotten better and better, uh, and I think is set to run the best race of his career in here. So th- those are my three A's. And, uh, I, you know, if I get that far and anything interesting has happened, I'll feel pretty good having those three. Four, ten, and six for Steve. JK, where are you in the Saratoga Derby? Yeah, I'm going to use the same ones, right? If, if you want to think that Classic Causeway got loose and you want to think that his performance wasn't as good as it looked, then you have to upgrade the horses that Steve mentioned that were kind of closing into that pace. Um, I, you know, from a foreign standpoint, or at least second time U.S., uh, the seven Royal Patronage, what's close to that, to that figure, how much better of a trip can that horse get? I think people are going to see that. They, they get really excited in these turf races when they see parentheses after the name. They just can't control themselves. They got to bet them all. Um, I, I don't need that one. I think Annapolis is the horse from a speed figure standpoint. He's tactical, which I love in these races because while the other ones are back there, you know, messing around, getting stopped, getting wide, Annapolis is going to be sitting second or third, stalking with Irad Ortiz, just waiting to pull the trigger. And so I, I like him in there. Um and then I thought Emmanuel was okay. The figure wasn't fast last time. Got an easy lead, though. So we'll see. Maybe that'll be – that horse will go out to the front end kind of – and then – I don't know. I, I feel like that horse is at least interesting to from a certain standpoint. Worked last time with Annapolis. But this will be one of those races where I'm pretty – you know, I'm three or four horses as A horses. But then I will use four other horses as, like, B types um, because it's surf racing and wild stuff happens. The two Grand Sonata I'll use underneath. If stolen base shows up here, we'll see. Oh, actually, they didn't scratch today, so they're they're not going to run tomorrow because I think they're still in today. Um, and Side Dog, I'll use as well as like a B type. Um, I'm over the classic Causeway thing. They, you know, last time was the time, and uh, they won't let that horse get loose again. Who would you make your top pick? You mentioned the six, three, ten, and four as potential A's. Who, who uh, like I would go with the ten. I'll, I'll take the ten Stone Age. You get Johnny um, in this situation. You know, and, and, you know, it's, I wish it'd be a lot of fun if Johnny could get his, his thousandth win in a stake like this, but he'll have to go on a furious run today and tomorrow to pull that off. But he's seven back, if I'm not mistaken, from a thousand right now. But no, I like Stone Age. Just has to work out a trip from out there. Got the right rider to potentially do that. Okay. One more race. We're a little bit over time, but we'll bring it home here with this New York bred maiden special weight mile and 16th on the inner turf affair. Steven, how are we going to get paid? Well, I have, I have a big root in this race, and that is for there to be a bunch of scratches. Um, I thought this race was close to impossible. Uh, <laughs> I hope to get alive to as many horses as I can reasonably afford in here. This race is a scramble. You know, you've got several horses who are making second off the of layoffs, who ran as fast at two as these have been running at three. Um, I've won a lot of horses on the come in here. You know, what I don't want are, are the horses who have had 15 or 20 chances at this condition and haven't gotten there, you know, even though they 
they own decent figures. I mean, I'm leaning away from the likes of Dreampoint and Beyondy. Uh, I just thought there were a lot of interesting horses in the race. Action Jackson uh, off the layoff for uh, Abreu, who's going great guns these days with his layoffs and first-timers. I thought the Bill Mott first gelding, Sir John, making his first start off a long layoff was interesting. Uh, Excursion East is a pet of mine who I think has had trips and has more ability than his PPs would indicate. You know, and you've got a Chad Brown firster who, for all we know, is going to be eight to five and win by the length of the stretch. So, <laughs> you know, that's the annoying thing about this race is you could go seven deep and end up with a five dollar winner. But I'm going to try to go seven deep ish. Highlight for me, the most interesting runners. Again, I didn't catch I didn't catch them all. Uh, I thought the uh, the four Action Jackson, the five Sir John, and the six Excursion East, uh, they're all going to be 10 to 1 or more, and they interested me a lot more than horses like Beyondy and Dreampoint, who are going to be shorter prices. Big hey, let's get your take on this one, and we'll let you guys get out of here. Yeah, look, I thought the 1A, um, part of the entry that I thought was interesting, closing into a slow pace last time, the two-year mission, who I thought ran well enough, closing into a slow pace, you're going to get this horse second off of a break and uh, watched on XBTV. This horse worked with chocolate gelato on the dirt. Chocolate gelato is one of those fastest two-year-olds in the world um, for Todd Fletcher that debuted on the dirt that if I'm not mistaken, they're running back in a stake immediately. They're didn't, I didn't even win. They're running back in a stake. If this turf horse can, can hang in a dirt work with that type of horse, you got to think the horse is doing really well. It should improve getting back on the grass. And then the four action Jackson was another one that I was interested in. Um, you know, I think Jorge Abreu is, is like a little Chad Brown, a little mini Chad Brown. When you're looking at these turf races, you can expect them to kind of run better than you would think. Um, they, he does really well up here with those types. So, and then look, I agree. I'm going to spread as much as I can in this spot, but those will be three that I'll be keying around kind of the A types for sure. I'll put as many as possible in the notes for both of you on the stuff that goes out to the plus subscribers. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate this. And uh, hopefully next time we'll have even more time so we can go on more tangents. I love the tangents. <laughs> See you guys. Saturday, August 6th brings us a cross country and cross breed pick five. Not only are there three huge grade one races at Saratoga, but we also have the Hamiltonian Oaks and the Hamiltonian, two of the premier harness races in North America in this sequence from the Meadowlands. It's harness racing's greatest day. First post is noon. There's a $5 admission that includes a hat giveaway, live music, carnival rides, food trucks, and more. You can check out all the action in the usual places, as well as on America's Day at the Races on Fox, the CBS Sports Network, and the COSA, C-O-S-A, Facebook page. For more information about this amazing card, you're going to want to check out the Perfect Trip Roundtable for Hamiltonian Day that you can find on our podcast channels, also on our YouTube channel. Uh, Edison Hatter, who's about to join us on the show, uh, hosts a fantastic panel. Great, great stuff there. To learn more, go to playmeadowlands.com. That URL, once again, playmeadowlands.com. And up next on the show, very pleased to be bringing in a man whose name I just said. He comes to us from the First Over podcast and also this Perfect Trip Roundtable that I just mentioned, which was uh, recorded last night. We'll bring him in now. He is Edison Hatter. Edison, how are things? Hey, Pete. Everything's going uh, very good. Uh, looking forward to work this weekend at the Meadowlands as we prepare, of course, for the uh, greatest day in harness racing. 
a lot of folks are big fans of these cross-country pick fives. Little hiccup last week. Sounds like things are back uh, on on the beam as far as this goes. And it's pretty cool to be incorporating some of this top-level harness racing. Even if you don't know much about harness racing, you know about the Hamiltonian. Just wanted to bring you in to give your thoughts, especially on these two uh, harness races that are part of this pick five, but also to get your thoughts on some of the Saratoga races. And I think we can expect a, a pretty reasonable size pool. This is just, to me, the perfect opportunity for a flat player interested in harness racing. Because I'm not sure all the flat players out there realize how big the pools are, how good some of the opportunities are on the standard rig racing side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Hamiltonian Day is a great opportunity to get involved in these wagers. And in general, you know, the Meadowlands, uh, the premier harness track really in North America, we, of course, have phenomenal pools each and every racing night. So great opportunity to get invested there. And, of course, if you listen to the Perfect Trip Roundtable last night, uh, a lot of us harness bettors and, and employees are also thoroughbred fans. So all six of us last night on the panel actually gave out cross-country pick five tickets. We handicapped the Saratoga races. We had opinions on those as well. And this, for sure, hopefully a great opportunity to maybe uh, take Pete some of those flat fans that might not quite be harness fans yet and hopefully get them involved in the wager like this. That's the idea precisely. Now, obviously, for much more information, folks can check out that Perfect Trip Roundtable for information about both harness and flat. But we thought we'd bring you in here, Edison, for the Cliff Notes version to try to bring uh, even more people into the fold playing this wager. It all kicks off at uh, 448 from the Meadowlands. We've got these three stakes from Saratoga, and then they're bracketed by the two Meadowlands races. Tell us how you want to get things uh, kicked off here at uh, 448 tomorrow in this cross-country, cross-breed pick five. Well, it all gets started with race 12 at the Meadowlands. Uh, it's Trotters for the Hamiltonian Oaks, and uh, these are the three-year-old Philly Trotters, so kind of can think of it a little bit like Kentucky Oaks, Kentucky Derby kind of a day. These are our three-year-olds on display, but we actually have eliminations going into these before the final. So last Saturday, there was two fields of 10. The top five from each field came back this week. And harness racing horses traditionally race kind of once every week, so a little bit more often than they do on the thoroughbred side, of course. And uh, the two elimination winners last week were Venerable and Warwizenia. Venerable was a horse that as a two-year-old last year, and much like thoroughbreds, it's very rare for a two-year-old to be really strongly considered for horse of the year. And yet she was for quite some time. She had a couple of hiccups at the end of the year that put her out of that conversation. But as of late, she's really stepped up her game as she prepares for this half-million-dollar race on Saturday. So a nice elimination winner last week. Venerable, I think, a must-include. And Warwizenia, the other elimination winner, was a little bit of an upset at 7-1. to one. The question for her going into the elimination was class. She had been racing a lot of condition companies. She hadn't really seen these type of stakes company before. But she was nearly last turning for home. And, uh, of course, much like Thoroughbred, it's kind of tough to make that much of a sustained move that quickly through the stretch. But she went pretty much from last to first down the stretch and just looked really impressive doing it. So uh, she's now seven for eight this year, and she's finally got that little bit of class under her as well. So those are the two I look to are the three, Warwizenia and the five, Venerable, to kick off the sequence. But, again, if you listen to uh, the roundtable, of course, there's plenty of other horses uh, that other people mentioned and lots of other ones you could possibly include. Absolutely. And folks making multiple tickets might look to throw some backups in there. But Edison, for the most part, looking to lock it up 3-5. Let's move on for a quick thought from you, Edison, on how you're going to use the grade one test race nine at Saratoga in this cross-country pick five sequence. 
I'll make it a very quick thought, Pete. Uh, Matarea. <laughs> Single. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Going to be odds on. Looks the fastest horse for sure. And uh, Edison looking to – we love that. You know, that's that's from old school podcast, JK and I. How few words can you do this race in? And then you just say the name of the heavy favorite. And, and that may well be as simple as it is in the test. How about the grade one? Whitney, however. Some big, big names in here. Horses who are most definitely under consideration for a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. This is a win-and-you're-in race for the Breeders' Cup. How many numbers did you want to use on your tickets? So Hamiltonian Oaks, Hamiltonian, obviously the test, formful, formful, formful. So somewhere in here, we've got to leave a favorite offer to. I'll take the big stands here. And there was one other person on my round table that took the stand as well. I'm going to throw Life is Good. Give me Hot Rod Charlie and Olympiad. I'll take the second and third choices. And Life is Good, I think, it's going to take a lot of money. And I'm willing to try to beat him here. Yeah, I'm, I get it. I get it. There are questions to, that, that need to be answered. And this is a horse... I mean, it'll be interesting to see David Aragon is so good at making the morning lines, guessing six to five. The crowd will make life is good over two to one on Olympiad. I think I'd rather the two to one on Olympiad. So I have some some sympathy with you as far as the Whitney goes. How about the Saratoga Derby? We had a big field of 11 going postward here. Uh, you, you looking to get skinny or are you going to throw a few numbers on the ticket? We'll throw a couple numbers on the ticket here. You know, my, my ultimate ticket will be a $6 base. So if you're looking to make it a little bit more pricier, you definitely throw more in, I think, in this race. But uh, the favorite here is Annapolis, who, of course, came back strongly at Belmont most recent race. But I'm still just a little disappointed in the effort that we saw from him uh, kind of in my backyard, one of my two local tracks where my parents live, where I grew up at Penn National in the Penn Mile. I, I know the track wasn't the best. You know, I know there were some issues there, but I, I'm just still unimpressed enough with that effort that I'm going to try to go against him here. I'll go four, nine, ten. Nation's Pride, uh, Classic Causeway, and Stone Age. Uh, you got come on, it's on the turf and it's Saratoga Derby. Got to use some of those European horses, right, Pete? I would think that makes sense, and it's going to be interesting to see about the turf condition. You know, you talked about Annapolis being maybe a little bit underwhelming on that soft turf at Penn National. Well, there's plenty of rain in the forecast here, so it could be that again, and that may well play right into the hands of some of these European shippers coming here, but who are going to uh, appreciate that uh, that cut in the ground let's get to the pay leg my friend we move on to uh to the big one one of the biggest harness races of the year it's the hamiltonian edison i'll ask you the key question when it comes to this cross country cross breed pick five how are we going to get paid well if you want the simple handicapping answer it's a rebuff as a single for me but in general just a tease for our fans that uh are hopefully in intrigued by this meadowlands card and want to tune in there's a lot of interesting storylines to follow um in the Hamiltonian, you know, unlike maybe the Derby where it happens rarely, I would say it's occasionally that we see a Philly beat the boys in the Hamiltonian. Um, but we've got two this year, Joviality and Jiggy Jogess. They're both in with serious chances. Uh, we've had two Phillies win the race in the last six years, so it's become more of a common occurrence. Um, so it's definitely an intriguing thing to watch there. Um, but rebuff for me has to be the single here. This was the Breeders' Crown champion last year. He didn't come back until July for his three-year-old season, but – He's had three dazzling starts so far as he prepares for the uh, final here this week. And I think he's squarely the one to knock off. He draws the rail. I think he'll just float away, maybe third or fourth, clear to the top then, and uh, just kind of clear sailing from there. But, hey, Pete, one final storyline for you to follow on Saturday. Uh, Michaela Melander is an interesting name this weekend. She is the sister of trainer Marcus Melander. Marcus Melander has joviality, the filly, who's probably considered the second choice in this race. But Michaela just married Lucas Wallen, who's the trainer of Rib Buff. So she <laughs> finds herself in a very interesting little situation there. <laughs> Family feud. 
<laughs> well, as as it says in the Meadowlands press release, uh, Thanksgiving dinner could be interesting this year. <laughs> <laughs> good line. I don't know if you wrote that, but it's a good line. Is is Rebuff the one runner in the Hamiltonian? Yeah, she she is, or he is the one horse in this race. And uh, again, there's a lot of different horses in there that we discussed on the roundtable. Um, you know, to include otherwise, but for me, I, I just think he's far above the best. A lot of other people though thought other directions. I'll tell you the horse that gotten a lot of buzz with both our, our live comments that we had on the show as well as uh, some of the panelists is the seven temporal Hanover. This horse is eight to one, and it's Jorgen Kristholm who comes to us from Sweden. He's one of the top drivers over there. But he might not be quite as well known here to the American fans. So uh, you might end up getting a pretty good price on him. And he raced a very good second right behind Jiggy Jog in the elimination last week. So he definitely could be worth a look as well and then include at what should be at a pretty good price. Great stuff. For much more, you're going to want to check out that Perfect Trip Roundtable. One ignorant flat fan question about harness racing, though, Edison, before I let you go. When it comes to the Phillies versus uh, the, the Colts in a race like this, how much weight do they get? Is, is is weight a thing in harness racing? Tell me a little bit about that. No, so it's not something we look at when it comes to uh, uh, harness racing. Um, the drivers, uh, there's no specific weights to them. And I, I imagine, I, I guess I just always assume this. I assume this is kind of the obvious answer. But I guess a little bit of the physics that, you know, carrying something on your back is a little more strenuous. You know, you notice that weight differential versus pulling behind you, I think, is a little bit, you know, less concerning. So, no, there are plenty of guys, um, you know, that are, are guys I can think of some 18, 19-year-old drivers that are, probably 100 pounds of that. And alternatively, there are some guys that can be several hundred pounds, of course, uh, trainers, uh, you know, in the bike and whatnot. So, I mean, there's uh, all sorts of things in between. And, you know, it's never something we really strongly discuss when handicapping. But um, Interesting. I don't know. I mean, there might be some statistics on what's better or what's worse there. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure somebody's looking at it. But if it's – the sport's been going on a long time. If nobody makes a big deal of it, there's probably a reason why they're not making a big deal of it. And I apologize for my ignorant flat fan question. But, you know, hey, I, I want to learn. I'm, I'm, I love the work you're doing over on the first over show. And I'm intrigued when I see the pool size – at Mohawk, at the Meadowlands, some of these uh, tracks we're now happy to be partnering with. This is something I want to do more of on the network, and uh, you're just the person to help bring this to us. Appreciate your time today, and we encourage folks to take time and uh, dive deeper, especially with that perfect trip roundtable. Find it on YouTube. Find it in your podcast feed for Hamiltonian Day. Have a great time this weekend, my friend, and we'll do it again soon. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on, Pete. Our baby talk segment is brought to you by our good friends at Gainesway. From top international bloodlines to rising stars on American soil, Gainesway's put together a stallion roster that is not only primed for future success, but is currently making its mark on the track, led by Caraconti's rising star, Spenderella. It's going to be fun to see what she can get done in the, the Del Mar Oaks coming up. I think it's going to be good. Make sure to check out the entire Gainesway roster for 2022 and see for yourself the power passion and performance of Gainesway for more go to gainsway.com for baby talk this week as we've been doing we bring in uh, somebody new and interesting to talk about two-year-old racing with in this case it's somebody gosh she's so versatile we talk about all manner of things on this show uh racing from Virginia, racing from Texas uh, we, we we sometimes talk about racing from Australia uh, here today, we're going to talk about racing from Saratoga. And yeah, we'll get a little Virginia in there too, because we, we've got her. So why not? I'm speaking, of course, of Jessica Paquette. Jessica, how are things? Everything's great. I'm new. I don't know how interesting I'll be, but I'll do my very best. <laughs> I've always enjoyed talking babies with you in the context that we've done it in other shows. So Can when you I was imagine thinking... saying that in like the real world to someone? <laughs> <laughs> 
I think I might be canceled immediately, right? I mean, that that just, it, it it doesn't it doesn't hold the same it doesn't hold the same meaning as it does in horse racing. But it's I think not. you for you like me, one of the things that's so interesting about summer racing, whether we're talking about Colonial or Del Mar or Saratoga, is taking a look at these two year olds and looking at the first year sires and trying to make assessments and and figure out what's what. And we know from your work that you've done on these shows, but also on the Colonial simulcast feed, that you're very very good with uh, look, being able to look at horses and, and see traits that are maybe passed on from, from uh, both sides of the pedigree. And, and yeah, so that, that, that's part of the reason why I wanted to get your, get your thoughts on these. I mean, how much do you, as a racing fan and as a better, enjoy two-year-old racing? It, it, oh, I mean, I liked horse babies more than I like human babies. But <laughs> uh, I get so excited about seeing these first-time starters because you never know where you're going to see a real star. I mean, last year at Colonial Downs, we saw so many horses make their debut, and they went on to run in the Kentucky Oaks, the Breeders' Cup, the Kentucky Derby, uh, the Black-Eyed Susan. So you really never know when you're going to see that next big thing. I'll never forget years and years ago. I, I mean, this is many years. I saw Evening Attire break his maiden at Saratoga. And that I got to see a horse like that was so special. So you never know when you're going to see a good one. It's a great way to develop attachments. And I think as a horse player, it helps you too, because I don't know, something about the way the memory gets formed when you're excited about watching them work the first time. I've told the story many times on these airwaves. I'll date myself here, but being able to be in the paddock at Keeneland for more than Reddy's first race. This is a memory that just comes up all the time, not only during his illustrious racing career, but even now, decades later, still getting to see his progeny and his name in pedigrees. And I think about, you know, all the great horses up here at a place like Saratoga, especially, you get to be in the paddock for the first race and, and somehow it just imprints on your brain better. And you remember certain things about these, these sires, whether it's, you know, uh, Munnings on the on the slop or, or whatever it just I feel like it helps as a horse I mean it's great as a fan but I, I think it helps as a horse player too oh I think so as well and genetics matter um you know I will absolutely go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the people who I know kind of look down on those of us that get excited about pedigrees it matters genetics matter um sometimes you can rise above your genetics or maybe you fell off the family tree and didn't quite reach what you were supposed to do but that you know it's a good piece of the puzzle to consider. For sure. And as is the idea of looking at horses in the paddock, especially with young horses. I, I saw a strange Twitter thread the other day and somebody saying, well, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't just make money betting on somebody's opinion in the paddock. Well, I don't think you could make money alone in horse racing betting on any one single factor. That doesn't mean there isn't signal. I mean, you, you can, if you can find a factor that's worth I don't know, two points of, of equity, you know, that, that could be the difference between a winning year and a losing year. And, and my own opinion is that, especially if you're getting insight from someone like you uh, and you develop this insight on your own, it could be worth well more than, than two points, especially, you know, when it comes to somebody like yourself who gets to see these horses, you know, day in, day out, to be, to be able to hear your opinion on how a first time starter has progressed from start one to start two that to me is invaluable information. Well, and I think people sometimes get a little confused about what the role of a paddock analyst really is. Um, you know, you should take what I'm telling you and make your own opinion with it. It is, it is information that you're maybe not getting in the program. You know, th they're insights. Throw it out. Use it in the way that works for your tickets. I think that's a good point. And then it's interesting to know the way that. Um, like the computer teams will use th this information and, and bookies as well. We've had Dallas Baker on whose job for many years was 
going around uh, what they call the mounting yard, I suppose, what we call the paddock. And it's just another factor in the algorithm. This one, I forget, he told us how he did it at one point. And it's something like you can parade on a factor of some, I'm just making this up. We'll have him talk about it at some point. But, you know, one is parading poorly. Five is parading great. And parading just means how you look walking yeah. around in the paddock to do the translation. And that will change. It doesn't take an even money shot and make them 10 to one, but it might make take the, it's still a huge difference to take an even money shot and ease them to six to four. Or conversely, that five to one shot that's parading a five is as good as possible, you know, maybe maybe becomes a three to one shot. It's just it's just another factor that folks should be the folks should be looking at. But of course, you're not just somebody who looks at horses and, and forms opinion. You're somebody who has a knowledge of pedigree and enjoys the handicapping process. And that's why we're going to bring you in to talk about the three races we, we are for this segment. And it kicks off with Saratoga's first race on Saturday. This is an early post, just so folks know, 1235 to kick off this uh, marathon 12 race card. And this is my some of my favorite types of races of all, where we've got these two-year-olds going a mile and a 16th on the inner turf. My first thought around this configuration is that uh, I'm going to want, I'm going to want to see some experience. I'm going to value experience over a first time starter when it comes to going two turns on a tight turf course. But there's also some first time starters in here who I know are going to command some attention. Where did your eye go in this race, Jessica? Well, I think Alexis Zorba, you know, you get the experience, sure. And I think this is going to be a horse who maybe is a little bit overbet. I think there could be a, a potential future real star in this race. And Alexis Zorba, you're going to see Joseph O'Brien. You're going to see John Velasquez. Like, you're going to see a good race at Saratoga last time. And I think this horse, you're not going to get any value with him. Maybe he wins. However, I am super excited to see Red Root. Red Root won Thoughts and prayers to John Imbriel. That one seems like it's going to be a little tricky um, as I just like chew over yeah, that's that. That's a hard one. Red root one. They just Yeah, that one's harder than it, harder than it seems. Uh, son of Gunrunner out of a mare named Red House. This is a horse with some crazy pedigree. Red House is a full sister to Untappable. Uh, also a half to Patio Prado. And there's a this is a little bit of a Texas tie-in here. So Untappable had one of her first foals race on the turf at Sam Houston, which I thought was a little odd at first because I forgot she was a half to Patio Prado. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. This mare, I don't think is going to wind up to be all that much that her daughter that debuted on the turf, but like she'll break her maiden at some point. The horse that I'm most interested though, this um, Red Root one is a full sibling to Red Run who won the Bob Bork Mile at Sam Houston and has had a really solid year. Physically, I was so impressed by how well-developed and precocious Red Run was. This was pretty early in his three-year-old year, -old year um, when we were down at Sam Houston um, on Champions Day, Champions Day or Ladies Classic Day that the Bob Bork Mile was held. And he looked like a four-year-old. He was this, you know, the gun runners are never these big strapping tall horses, but they are built like he was, like little, you know, stout and stocky and kind of can do anything. So Red Root won, I think, a horse with a super bright future. And I think he can win it first out. And any opportunity on a Gainesway sponsored segment to get uh, Tappet's name out there, Red House being by uh, by by Tappet is is well worth doing. Can we talk I about Caraconti for a second? Um, yeah, please. I, I'm I'm a big fan. I've seen so many of them at Colonial this summer, and boy, they do a little bit of everything. Um, I've been very impressed by how they're a little spicy. Um, they certainly that's like a universal trait. Seemingly, is they seem to have. Plenty of opinions, no shyness about telling you what they think about every part of the proceeding, um, but they can run. They've they've been fun to see. 
Excellent. Yeah, we love getting that in there as well. Let's talk about this pedigree on number seven, Battle of Normandy, for a minute, Jessica. By City of Light, off to a promising start. And then uh, the Kitten's Joy, damn adorable miss. Is this one on your radar as well for this spot? Shug is always on my radar. I mean, I'm a little bit of a sucker to always put a Shug horse on, on my radar. I don't know if this colt has the most precocious of all pedigrees. You have to wonder if maybe he needs one or maybe two to really hit the ground truly running. The female family was fine. I mean, it's, it's what you'd expect. It's full of black type every which way you look, but nothing to me that made me super excited. Um, the work tab study, this is what I'd really like to see in person, um, but to form an opinion, I wonder just how developed he is. Gotcha. Well, you will have that opportunity. You on a, on a TV screen. I don't think you'll be in person, but us in person here in Saratoga on Saturday. But Red Root won. And I will later do a little tongue tester challenge with Perrin and see if we can say Red Root won five times fast. I don't think I'm going to pass it, but we'll, we'll give it a whirl. But as far as the actual handicapping portion of the show goes, let's pivot to race number six, 324 Eastern for these two-year-olds. This is an interesting one, too, as we've got two-year-olds going seven furlongs, which can be a real difference maker when it comes to uh, these young horses. This is a really interesting one. And Wadsworth was kind of the horse I went to at just a massive price, too. If you can get anything close to 10 to 1 on the morning line, uh, first time starter for Brad Cox, like solid work tab, checks all the boxes. I have one question, and that is maybe why this horse is not debuting on the turf. Uh, the dam was like just a heck of a racehorse. Do you remember Dickinson? She was just a yep. monster on the grass. Yep. Yeah, that's um, interesting. I think she won the Jenny Wiley, if I'm remembering correctly. So then I tried to make sense of why this horse is debuting on dirt. Um, the second dam won the Ashland. And I wonder if that was like when Keeneland had synthetic. Um, I could have done a little bit more research on that, but the years were all bleeding together at a certain point. <laughs> uh, but this horse just crazy. I mean, crazy class in the pedigree. Quality roads can do dirt, can do turf, can do a little bit of everything. I feel like this one may want to go longer than seven furlongs, but... I'm very interested. This is a long, uh, potential long shot I'm really interested in. When you're getting a price, that's when you, you you roll with that. And you were right about Dickinson winning the Jenny Wiley. And I just pulled up Little Bell here, and I'm trying to see what year uh, what year that was. I mean, we are old, so I think that may have been when Keeneland had the synthetic. <laughs> yes, indeed. 2000 and, uh, 2008 um, ran, in the, ran in the spinster there. Um, but yeah, this, this, this is an interesting pedigree for sure. And Brad Cox, you know, rarely makes, uh, really makes the wrong decision. And he, seems he doesn't like one miss of trainers, very often. Yeah. Any more, more than most trainers, I feel like moves them from surface to surface with, with like a plum. You know? And I feel like he has had so many nice turf horses as well, that if this horse had the ability on the turf, he'd probably run it there. So any others in here that like just intrigued you as a racing fan, if, if not necessarily as appealing of a betting proposition as Wadsworth, anything, you know, you wanted to chat about for a minute? Uh, Disarm, obviously, kind of stands out to me. The Asmussen Barnes having a terrific meet at Saratoga. Gunrunner. And that same in cross that we just talked about. Yeah, it, it is a very similar out of a tappet mare. Um, I imagine this is about the reddest chestnut that you could ever find <laughs> being, you know, gun runner out of like a chestnut tappet mare. It's just, this horse is just going to be so red. Um, it showed plenty of, he showed plenty of ability in his debut. Um, you know, was really professional, was gaining at the end. I like to see that even if a horse doesn't maybe have the best start. And we'll chalk that up to an educational debut. I think he'll, he has a good chance to win. I don't know if he's, you know, we'll see how good he is. 
stayed on really well going five and a half, which, you know, with, as you point out about these gun runners, they can do anything. But looking at this pedigree, you'd think the seven would be well within the scope. And, you know, maybe you get a little tick up in the odds there because of people being afraid of the two-year-old breaking from the rail going seven. It's not my favorite thing, but it's something that I think more often than not, you get uh, compensated for in terms of price. And statistically, it's not, it's one of those things where, statistically it doesn't have negative footprints the way that I get why people don't want to break from the rail with a, with a two-year-old, especially coming out of a shoot where they so often break half a step slow. How much does it bother you as a, as a horse player of seven furlongs at Saratoga breaking from the rail for a two-year-old? For me, I consider the barn. Um, I think there are some horses that prepare their horses a little bit better out of the gate than others. And if we can say anything about the horses coming out of the Aspenson barn, they, come out of the gate running. Um, they're, you know, like Wesley Ward as well. These are horses that are schooled really well at the gate to break very sharply. So I imagine, you know, even if they maybe had a slow start in that first race, they won't again. Did you have an opportunity to take a look much at Arthur's ride? This is a, a, a son of Tappet out of a point given dam making the, the debut for Bill Mott and, uh, and Joel Rosario. Certainly, you know, Mott and it's, we always say this, not known for winning with first-time starters, certainly can win with first-time starters. Looking at the pedigree, I'm thinking maybe he's going to uh, need this first race, but I can't rule the horse out either. I wonder how big this colt is. That's the first That's the first thing I think of when I think of, I mean, tap it out of a point given. Merrick's point given was so, oh God, he was so big. Yeah. Um, I was not a point given fan for whatever reason. He was one of those horses that never did it for me, um, but I imagine this, this colt has some size to him and you wonder if maybe he needs to grow into those big long legs and what I imagine is just a big gawky baby body. And then we've got the, uh, the Todd Pletcher entry that will surely take uh, loads of money. Croupy by Curlin out of the Malibu moon mare. Don't forget about me. I, I feel like there should be a U in there just to get the eighties rock and roll reference. And then yet another gun runner with number one, a point proven out of Secret Jewel by Bernardini. Either of those on your radar for this spot? Oh, for sure. Secret Jewel was a very nice stakes horse. She's produced a black type winner. Um, some pedigree there. And the Gunrunners, I just, what a stallion. What a stallion he has turned out to be. The worst take I think I've ever had in horse racing was like when Candy Ride was a three-year-old. I was like, oh, he's not much. I'm not that impressed by him. <laughs> what a legacy he has wound up having. It's been unbelievable and just just been building and building through uh, through this unprecedented uh, gunrunner success. Let's go on to some Monday racing. We'll be doing more yes. on the network with Monday racing. I think I'm going to leave it to you and, and Nick and a special guest to do our Mid-Atlantic Pick 4 show this week. But I really do relish the opportunity to get your thoughts on this Colonial Maiden special weight, which goes at 557 on Monday, five and a half furlongs on the turf and you picked this race as one to talk about. So I'm assuming that means you've got one in particular you're excited about. Yes. So number eight, super, super flag has one of the coolest female families. Uh, this is, there's a reason that writing program comments for the races at colonial downs takes me an embarrassing amount of time. It's because I wind up going down these deep, deep rabbit holes that, you know, I'm like four generations in being like, I remember this horse. This was great. But I, I mean, the class in this horse is female family. Uh, his second dam is a half-sister to Miesk's approval, world approval, Za approval, and revved up all serious turf stars and millionaires. Oh, yeah. I wonder if this one, you know, needs a little time and maybe needs a little distance. Like five and a half maybe short for him, but the Trumbetta barn does 
really well with first-time starters. I mean, it doesn't have like the statistic. In my mind, I think they do better, I guess, with first-time starters than they do. Like the, that ROI is, actually isn't that great. But I've seen at Colonial so many nice two-year-olds come out of this barn. And Victor Carrasco does like a really, really good job giving these debut runners a good warm-up and a good experience. So I think if this horse can run at all, I think he has a chance. I'm going to put this one in the tracker right away. And, and I'm almost hoping we get look, one of those useful split the field or, you know, do do a little something, but not something so gaudy. So then we get so a big we, price next time. Yes, we can bet with both fists on the stretch out. Because I do think, I mean, just looking at this pedigree seems like one that just just crying out to for maybe a little bit of experience and, sure. and, and more distance. Any others in here you, you like to maybe go with super, super flag? The Kelsey Danner horse, the seven uh, Dundon, um, did kind of everything right in his debut. And that experience edge does go pretty far. Yeah, being able to to nab. I mean, you know, probably passing tired horses, but whatever. I just love to see that. Some interest, some ability. Did they understand and, the job. Yeah, exactly. uh, that they're not just kind of going around going around out there following their friends home. And and I like the I sort of like the comment too in the just in the chart. Unhurried inside. And then, you know, you get a little bit of an outside draw, that benefit of experience back in just 20 days certainly makes sense that, uh, that Donadin is going to be part of the mix here in this Monday race at, uh, at Colonial Downs as well. Well, that's great stuff, Jess. We really appreciate you coming on here. Folks, we'll, we'll be back with you to talk about that Monday pick four with Nick Tamaro and hopefully another special guest there as well. I don't think she's quite confirmed yet. So we'll, we'll keep that in the back pocket for now, but uh, can't wait to have you back on and can't wait to see on the TV. Colonial has been just a great signal to have going and love the way you, uh, you do your on-air work and also the, the social media work you're doing promoting what's a, what's a really fun and solid product down there. So keep at it. Thank you. It's a lot of fun to do. Happy to be doing it. Tune in this weekend for two Breeders' Cup Challenge Series win in your in races. The first is the Whitney from Saratoga, which features a scintillating matchup of the top older males in the country. The winner will receive an automatic entry into the $6 million Longines Breeders' Cup Classic on November 5th. Also on Saturday, we have the Clement L. Hirsch from Del Mar, with the winner receiving automatic entry into the $2 million Longines Breeders' Cup Distaff on November 5th. Both winners will also receive entry fees paid by the Breeders' Cup, a $10,000 reward to the nominator, and a $10,000 travel allowance for horses stabled outside of Kentucky. Coverage starts on Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern on NBC. This weekend is also the first of two future wagers for the $6 million Longines Breeders' Cup Classic. The future wager will list 24 wagering interests for the Classic with a $2 minimum bet, win bets only, the wager opens 12 p.m. Eastern on Friday, August 5th, and will close at 6 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, August 7th. For more information, go to breederscup.com. Next up on the show, we turn our attention to Monmouth Park, specifically this Monmouth Park Saturday card. And uh, to do that with us, we have from InTheMoneyPodcast.com, Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are things? Good morning. Doing great, Pete. Ready to talk about another uh, exciting card in Monmouth. And from the betmakers, and we've been talking about this big news uh, about fixed odds betting in New Jersey. Maybe we'll do a minute on that before we dive into the races. We have Dallas Baker. Dallas, uh, how have things been with the, the, these big new developments going on? Yeah, really good, Pete. It's uh, as we've always said, the timeline at the start was going to be governed by the timeline at the start. No real, uh, no real key milestones apart from getting everything right throughout. Uh, we took a significant step last week with the launch of the website, monmouthbets.com, where New Jersey residents can now 
bet on fixed odds, not only having to be on track. Uh, the the app from the App Store is probably only a couple of weeks away, which will be the next step. And uh, yeah, so everything's moving well. Had uh, some good numbers on Haskell Day and then comparatively even better numbers the following week. So it's really starting to resonate. The people on track at Monmouth are getting it, which is the probably the, the first test case to see how long it takes to educate a, a, a nice sample of the US punting world to see um, how they actually understand fixed odds. And the people on track at Monmouth now, like close to three months in, are, are starting to know what they're doing. So it's a, it's and really having a great experience. And when you're looking at it 70% of the time, or thereabouts, the fixed odds price, closing price is better than the tote price. People are getting double the dividends in a lot of cases. So it's great to see smiles on people's faces and not whinging about, I took it at five to one, it came into five to two or shorter. They're saying, I got it at five to one and now, and it started five to two. And if that isn't good for racing, I don't know what is, Pete. Yeah. You say whinging, but on it's a completely legitimate uh, yeah. complaint. Now, uh, Mama, so so the, give us the URL one more time, and that for that one you have to be a uh, you have to be a, a Mammoth Park. Um, you have to be a New Jersey resident yeah. to play. Yeah, New Jersey resident to play, but can bet anywhere in the state of New Jersey. Mammothbets.com. But for those who aren't, you can still have a look at the prices. And watch them change in real time. Obviously, what's on the site is exactly what the price is at that time. And, you know, obviously, this is going to be something that we're talking about far more in depth in the next 12 months as more states roll out. Um, so, you know, you know, for those who, who love a bet and want to get across the fixed odds and start educating themselves, the best way to do it is to monitor how the fixed odds market moves. So then you can actually be ready to uh, take advantage of the game within the game and getting the best price rather than just having a bet and waiting to see see what the tote tells you your price is. I can't wait for the opportunities to talk about that. But for now, let's dig into these Saturday races, starting with the very first race, which will also kick off the win early pick five, the nation's earliest pick five. The race goes at 12.15 on Saturday, and it's an interesting one. Maiden special weights, three-year-old and up, fillies and mares going five and a half on the turf and a field of nine. Let's start with the market. How are you looking to price this one up, Dallas? Yeah, I think Prudent Song is a pretty a pretty obvious favourite here, Peter. It's um, two dollars forty in decimal language, so roughly about three to two in fractions ahead of Epic Queen at uh, three to one or four dollars decimal. And the only other uh, only other two runners under double figures are um, number five French Kissing at nine to two or five dollars fifty, and Never at six to one or seven dollars. How about from a punting point of view, Nick? Any of those? fixed odds, opportunities appeal to you in particular, and which numbers do you think will be on your win early pick fives? Yeah, I think, you know, Prudence Song is, is a deserving, pretty heavy favorite. One of the disadvantages of taking a horse like this is she likes to do her running late, which obviously sprinting on the turf can be very risky. I would say that, uh, that Epic Queen has an advantage tactically, and I think I would try to probably get involved with that. She didn't show quite as much early speed last time out, but she finished well, went third behind Prudence Song. There was a, a decent amount of pace on that day. I'm hoping that Prudence Song gets a little bit of a jump on her. So, or that Epic Queen rather gets a little bit of a jump on her. So I'm going to, I would loan A the three and I'd use the six and seven as backups. The six little Jesse's a little interesting was 12 to one in a big field last time out for Kent Sweezy and got into some trouble on the turn when she had a hard time keeping up from the rail. Now she draws towards the outside. I think that might be a, a little bit of a potential edge. All right, let's move on to race number two. Starter allowance going six furlongs on the dirt. Nick, we'll keep it with you for your pick five thoughts and any runners you might be interested in uh, getting stuck into on the fixed odds. 
Yeah, Jet Speed, interestingly, is a horse who I, I mentioned I liked last week and won at five to one and is now back quickly for Michelle Hemingway, coming back just a week later, facing winners for the first time. Looks like one that'll really force the issue from the inside as well. But, you know, you'd be remiss in talking about Mammoth by not mentioning the run that Claudio Gonzalez is on. He has just been on a tear over the last couple of weeks, multiple wins on both Saturday, Sunday and Monday. And as horses are getting bet accordingly. So uh, we'll see uh, a little bit about where this one lands in terms of the the tote. I think in a fixed odds market, we're probably going to be looking at this one favored. But the man who's got the answer is just a few seconds away on that particular topic. So I would say uh, Smarty John for me looks like an obvious use. I think Aztec was a little bit pace compromised last time out. I'd want to try him as well. So I'd be using the one, three and four. No backups here and uh, just try and, and get through it. Survive and advance approach for Nick in leg B of the pick five. How about the, the question that Nick just posed, Dallas? When you see a trainer on a run like the one Gonzalez is on, how much does that move the prices for you? Oh, absolutely. Like trainer, trainer jockey combinations, uh, especially when you talk about the high volume computer algorithms that come in late. Um, they're, they're a huge factor in it. And obviously, uh, you've got to respect their, uh, their thoughts because uh, they, they're generally the main winners in the game, too. So, uh, yeah, definitely. And Claudio Gonzalez. I mean, I think just to echo, uh, echo Nick's thoughts, his horses, when they're, when they're in the market, they're doing the job that they should do. And that's what I love seeing about an informed trainer. There's nothing, it's just, it just looks like that his horses are all, you know, the horses that are, are running up to what they should be doing. You know, obviously they can't win every race and all of that, but um, they, they're normally running to their price. And as Nick said, uh, a lot of the time they're getting backed, and when they're getting backed, they're running even better than their price. So, look, we're uh, we're still we're still letting it hang out there. I think Nick will be happy that we're uh, we've actually got Jet Speed second pick at the moment at three to one, four dollars. Smarty John has come up favourite with us in the opening market. Um, two to one or three dollars but that could easily change from the point that nick's made but splitting those two was one that nick didn't mention the judge and jury down the bottom at nine um, at seven to two or four dollars forty uh and cantankerous cantankerous oh, sorry aztec five dollars fifty nine to two and cantankerous tax six cantankerous cat six to one or seven dollars you used an interesting phrase there, Dallas, that I know from, you know, working in the UK so much, but I think will be unfamiliar to a lot of U.S. punters. And one of the things we want to do on these broadcasts is sort of demystify some of the terminology. When you say a horse is in the market, what does that mean? Well, basically at the top end of the market, you know, so that basically if you, you're, you're um, in the first three or four picks of the market, you're in it. If you're not, you're out. <laughs> gotcha. That's perfectly described. It could, be, it could be like the bird on the Bicky tin, but that would need me, need me to explain Australian pop culture. Yeah, that's, that's, we don't, you told me you, you had a hard out. So we're not doing Australian pop culture demystifying on this show, but the next time it comes up, we will, we will yeah. get into that for sure. The hinge of the early pick five is race number three. We've got $8,000 claimers, three-year-olds and up, fillies and mares, a mile and a 16th on the dirt. Let's get an overview of uh, who's in the market on this one, Dallas. you lovely. Lady Fox, again, obvious favorite, but, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's something that you can take on, but we'll let the punters on it around about the, the three to two mark, $2.40 uh, on the decimal language. Ahead of Princess Betty at three to one, $4.00. And next in line is Will Cart Will Cat Cartridge number three at four dollars and forty cents, or roughly seven to two. Nick, let's talk about it from uh, either if you want to cherry pick one of those numbers, or just give us the numbers that'll be on your pick fives. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Lady Fox looks pretty tough to handle here. I would say she's going to be a, a pretty short price on the tote. I don't think the five to two morning line on the tote will hold up, and I would imagine she'll drift below two to one 
both because she's dropping in class um, and because of how Claudio Gonzalez is going right now. So I, I, I would envision Lady Fox ends up a pretty solid favorite. Always a little worry with a horse that wants to do some of her best running late at a place like Mammoth. Princess Betty should not be discounted. Good improvement off the claim. And that was a, a return in about six weeks for new trainer Jose Sanchez, who's 46% at the meet. So this is a guy who's done well at the claim box. I think it's between those two. I'll keep it simple and make it six and seven. Nick going for the lockup in race number three, which brings us to race number four, an allowance race for three-year-old fillies and mares and up going a mile and a 16th on Monmouth turf, another field of seven. Nick, who's your idea of the winner? You know, Kelly Breen has the unenviable task here of taking a horse over from uh, David Fox and Chad Brown in copacetic, but this is a horse whose turf form really at least recently is just better than anybody in the field. You have start seeking one door to the outside and, Interestingly, Star Seeking really began her North American campaign very impressively with a couple of good races at Gulfstream. And the wheels have really come off in her last two starts for Todd Pletcher, who's now, you know, sending her down to AAA, so to speak, trying to get the, uh, the maybe the confidence booster and just to assess exactly where she is. She got the wrong trip last time being close to the pace at a mile and three eighths. That was a particularly fast paced race, too. So I don't want to hold it against her too badly. It feels like the winner comes from one of those two. I know it's sort of Captain Obvious in taking the two chalks. I think the the outsider that maybe gets a little consideration is Champagne Horizon, who followed up a fast-paced wire-to-wire win at Fairgrounds with a nice off-the-pace win into a slow pace at Monmouth. So I do think her versatility is notable. I'd probably use her as a backup. All right, four, five, and six a little bit for Nick. Let's talk about where the market is on Nick's selections in this one, Dallas. Yeah, pretty much exactly as Nick said, Pete. Uh, Copacetic is two to one and not quite favourite of three dollars $3 decimal. Star seeking roughly about the three to two mark, two dollars sixty. So yeah, they look like that they're, they're going to uh, sit down and sort out a battle for favouritism. Next in line, Champagne Horizon, four to one or five dollars, and Aziza down the bottom, seven dollars or six to one. But yeah, as Nick said, looks like um, looks like uh, you know pretty much on on former two horse race, and that's pretty much how we expect the market to evolve. We look to pay out this win early pick five with race number five, where we've got three and up Jersey bred fillies and mares in the allowance ranks with 75,000 in the pot and the distance a mile and 70 yards. We'll ask you the key question, Nick, how are we going to get paid? You know, I, I've been chalky pretty much thus far. I'm going to take one horse at a decent price. I'm hoping at least, and that's the six Princess Georgia. First off the claim by Claudio Gonzalez inside last time out, probably not the place to be. This is a big trainer change from a, a I guess a, a basic standpoint with uh, Claudio taking this horse off of Calixto Juarez, hoping that we get a little bit more involved early with Princess Georgia. And I'm going to ride that Claudio Gonzalez and Rojas wave. All right. Any backups for you in this spot, or is it Princess Georgia or bust? Now I'm going to stand alone and, and just try and, and, and smash it. All right. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how it plays out for Nick. Let's ask you, Dallas, what price do you have on Princess Georgia? Would nine to two, $5.50 be all right for you, Nick? Is that okay? I'll take it. I'd be moseying my way down to the fixed odds window if I was at Monmouth Park. <laughs> All right. So, so a very, very soft nine to two. It's about to be wound in. Stuff you, Nick. Uh, <laughs> 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 love you, mate. But it's, you know, it comes down to 
finance before romance, mate. No, no, obviously not. So five dollars fifty for Princess Georgia. We've come up with Rachel Caroline number three favourite at five to two or three dollars fifty ahead of Bamboo Garden at seven to two four dollars forty. And the uh, the hugely successful claim so far from Kelly Bree Muzzletock is still kept safe in the market at around about the uh, four to one mark, five dollars. And uh, I'm sure if you once you claim a horse, you'd probably like to see something other than two wipes beside its name. <laughs> I think that's safe to say. Yeah. Before I let you guys get out of here, we have another minute. Let's look ahead to the stakes race a little bit later in the card, 3.53 p.m. We've got uh, this race for three-year-olds going six furlongs on the dirt with 100000 in the pot. The Jersey Shore stakes. Nice field of 10 here. Very curious to get an overview of the market from you, Dallas. Yeah, lovely. That is race nine we are talking about, obviously. Yes, race number um, nine. Okay, so send by it pretty um it's the Nick Tamaro market. Nick, high, wide, and handsome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we go. I've been waiting to be able to say that for four weeks. <laughs> and so we have good. explained it now. You can go back to another show and and and, and look yeah. at the high, wide, and handsome. Yeah. Anyway, it means that there's a lot competing for favoritism, really. It's uh not much between four or five horses here. Senbai is narrow favorite at seven to two, four. 40 ahead of a lightning larry at four to one five dollars then provocateur and nakatomi sitting on the nine to two line or five dollars fifty um and then the next one not too far away from that either of a revolution six to one or seven dollars so as you can see it's a bit of throw them up and pick up sticks as far as the market goes nick is there one in particular that you fancy or a vertical approach that you have in here to to put forth you know, it's an interesting bunch. And between what we saw in the Amsterdam last week and then the Housebuster overnight at Colonial on Monday, there's a pretty good amount of these, you know, mid-range, decent three-year-old dirt horses in, in the sprint ranks. So, you know, I'm interested to see how Lightning Larry runs coming back from a layoff. He was very good in the Chick Lang and Jorge Delgado opting to run him here. Chantel's in for the ride. So I think if that horse was available at five or six to one, I'd be, I'd probably be pretty interested. I don't know. Um, how much less than that he'll go. Because as Dallas said, this is a very competitive race on paper. I think if the uh, morning line gives you any indication, uh, everybody's between roughly four to one and six to one. So yep. everybody of the contenders. So yeah, I'd probably go with Lightning Larry. I would definitely be betting against Senbei, um, who is a deserving favorite based on those New York running lines. This is a horse who's been very fortunate on multiple occasions. And I think the uh, clock's going to strike midnight. Four to one, the field on a morning line, very unusual. That's uh, that's for sure. And the fixed odds uh, back up that idea. Competitive stuff, a race to definitely check out. You know, if you're up here in Saratoga, a lot of time between races, check out Mammoth. It's been a fun product. And then especially if you're a Jersey resident and will eventually have the opportunity to be betting the fixed odds. There's a lot going on down there at the shore. Nick and Dallas, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Pete. And should just say, mate, look forward to seeing you over the weekend. We're coming up for the sales. So yes. uh, obviously a lot of people watching this will be at the sales. So we'll have the team of Zach Taylor, Billy Pascrell, the fourth and myself there on the ground. So if any questions about fixed odds movement or whatever, um, come up and see us. Love it. We, do you have a, this, I should, I hate to ask this question, not knowing the answer, but do, do you, do you have a, like a formal sponsorship with them or you just be more yep. hanging around? Yeah. Yeah. Same as last year. Same oh, Speaking of Billy Pascal, there he is. <laughs> just in time. Um, yeah. It, just the same as last year, Pete, um, you know, you were there and we enjoyed it all. So yeah, we're, we're happy to get behind a great organization like Fasic Tipton as we are many 
all of the all of the great organizations we get behind in U.S. racing. Well, including I know you guys are big sponsors of the TRF Barbecue up here at the yes. end of the month. Speaking yeah. of other industry initiatives, and and yeah, if you're interested, and you know sometimes that room is like Fort Knox. But if you're if you're a listener and you're going to be around and you have fixed odds questions, hit me up Twitter at Loons Boldly or through the contact page in themoneypodcast.com, and we'll we'll figure out a way to to arrange a meeting, hopefully in the air conditioning. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. See you. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. I want to thank all of today's guests for popping by. A few reminders before we get out of here. One reminder is if you're looking for coverage of Del Mar this weekend, we've got it, a special show with Frank Scatoni, audio only. So you're going to want to go to wherever you get your podcast and check that one out. The Clement Hirsch and much more going to be covered on that one. Also want to remind folks about this new bet, the Breeders' Cup. Future Wager, you've heard about it in the ad I did earlier. This is for the classic win bets only. Opens on Friday, closes Sunday night. Obviously, you'll get some key information with the running of the Whitney. Encourage you to watch that race and then make a bet. You can find it as its own special drop down on the ADWs. 24 wagering interest, 23 listed horses. And then they've got the all others tab as well. Great opportunity to get involved with this Breeders' Cup future wager for more info on that you can go to breederscup.com more thank yous our founding partners 10 strike racing and the thoroughbred retirement foundation most of all though want to thank all of you the listeners and viewers for making these shows so much fun to do feel free to get in touch at looms boldly on twitter or through the contact page over at in the money podcast.com this show's been a production of In The Money Media. We will thank producer AJ for sitting in and helping us out today. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos. <laughs>